Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. You know, we're hardwired to be cautious. We're hardwired to be frightened. We're hardwired to be suspicious and we're hardwired to be doubtful. So what if you decided somewhere along the way that you were going to snip that hard wiring to just go for it? What if you thought there's nothing stopping me, only me? Well, in this episode, we're going to explore the complexities of our ability to be ourselves. And it's it's an exciting journey for all of us to take with my guests. And we'll get to that in a moment. But first, as always, this is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago, or the way of St. James. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're thinking of walking the Camino and someone has suggested you listen to the hundreds of interviews here, well, your world's just collided and they'll keep colliding. You'll be swept away with the energy and camaraderie of pilgrims and pilgrimage. You'll find yourself taking steps, both figuratively and literally. Small steps at first, then broader strides. Then you'll find you've travelled, and in that travelling, you'll meet people that change your life. But no one will have changed your life more than you. It's one of the true blessings of that striding out, beginning that journey and accepting and welcoming change. Change is one thing. Believing you can change is another. Leo Tolstoy said, Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing themselves. So I'm using change as my thread this week because my guest has been through enormous change since we first met in episodes three and four of the podcast seven years ago. Bill Bennett's full-length feature film, The Way My Way comes out later this year. I can't rave about it enough. It's absolutely brilliant. And we'll talk about the film a little later. And the reason I'm speaking with Bill is this week is a very big week in the life of The Way My Way. Before we get there, I want to know how we got here. I want to know what drives someone to do the necessary hustle to make a feature film. So, Bill Bennett, welcome, Pilgrim. (laughs) Thank you, Dan. I'm a little little bit disappointed, I've got to say. Three and four. I would have liked to be in one and two, but you know, I'll, I'll live with it. <laughs> well, I can always ch- chop those, I suppose, but I'm one of them, and my Canadian friends are number two. But we'll see what we're going to do. <laughs> I just mentioned that I want to know what drives you to be the hustler that you are, right? You're one of the busiest people I know. But before we get to that, you've spent the last few years working on your films and intuition and fear, both outstanding studies and features in their own right. What do you make of Tolstoy's quote, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing themselves? Well, you can't change the world until you change yourself. It's really simple. Um, you, have, you, have to, you have to change yourself. And in that small way and large way, you get to change the world. It's a little bit like walking the Camino. You know, I'm, 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 I'm fascinated by this notion that you can change your geography by walking. Mm. I mean, you you know, you get to Astorga and you look at the mountains way, way ahead and you think, how can I get there? And then three days later, two days later, four days later, you're on top of those mountains and you turn and you look back at where you were and you have changed your whole world view simply by walking incrementally, step by step. And that's how you change step-by-step, incrementally. So we need to acknowledge your beautiful wife, Jennifer, as well. She's a huge part of your journey in work and in life. 
Uh, she's um, inseparable and part of me. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's a hurricane. In order to get us to a place where we can better understand your motivation, because my motivation is to hopefully encourage others to bite off more than they can chew and chew like crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Chew like there's no tomorrow, as they say. I think then a good place to start would be for you to tell us all what you learned about yourself when you made the film PGS. Intuition is your personal guidance system. Well, Dan, just by, by way of background, I went into that film as a skeptic. Um, I came from, I have come from a very evidence-based background. Both my parents were dentists. I grew up um, very, very much believing, as they believed, that the only thing that was real was what you could measure, what, what could be evident scientifically. And so, but a crazy thing happened, as people who have seen the film will know, I was nearly run over by a truck that went through a red light, but a voice told me to slow down just before that that happened. Mm. I slowed down. The truck missed me. That voice saved my life. And really, my my life kind of changed from that moment on because I, I became curious. What, what is that voice? Where did it come from? Why did, why did it save my life? And what's so special about mm. me that my life should be changed? And it took me 10 years to make that film. And I started off not knowing anything about intuition, as I say, being a skeptic. But along the three years it took in filming, and I travelled around the world four times, I think, to make that film, interviewing neuroscientists and um, stem cell biologists, and but also mystics and psychics and so mm. forth, and channelers. I came across um, and you know religious figures. I went to Bhutan, interviewed the Prince of Bhutan, um, a Buddhist. And something happened, and, and I think perhaps the most important thing that happened is that I said to myself, I'm actually going to approach this with an open mind. I'm not going to stick to the biases and the preconceived ideas and, and, and fixed views that I've had. I'm actually going to keep an open mind. And in keeping an open mind, I suddenly discovered a whole other world. Mm. And I met people that fundamentally shifted my understanding of what reality is. And in that sense, it fundamentally shifted my understanding of what I was and who I was. And I finished that film a different person. Mm. But here's the thing. I could not have made that film had I not walked the Camino. And this is the thing, because what happened was this. I'd been struggling to make that film for a long, long time. I'd been quite successful in making films prior to that, and I hit a roadblock with this. And I thought, what's happening? You know, why can't I make this film? And so I decided to walk the Camino, and I dedicated the walk to this film that I wished to make. And I decided that I would do something quite outrageous for me. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a Plan B person. I'm a plan C, D, E, and F person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, to do what I have to do, I have to, I have to be very logical and linear mm. and, and um, really plan ahead. I decided that I would walk the Camino winging it. Now, that terrified me. You know, so I wouldn't plan anything. I did no research into right. what our burgos stay, stay in, you know, none of that. I decided that I would, I would use what I called my personal guidance system, my intuition, to lead me on that walk where I was meant to go. Mm. And that was, that, was, that was life-changing in itself. Yeah. 
And so what happened was this. I, I, I walked that Camino intuitively. It led me and, and took me to places and, and, and uh, I met people that I wouldn't have met had I done it in a pre-planned way. Yeah. And it gave me the confidence then within – okay, so 10 years I've been trying to make that film. I walked the Camino. Within one year of, making the, of walking the Camino, I made that film. Right. It was, it was, it was, it opened up this valve. It opened up, it opened up this confidence, really, to say, all right, I'll do it. But I don't know whether you know this story or not, but here's the thing. I had decided, I walked the Camino in May. In July, I went to sleep saying, I've got to make a decision. Do I keep do I keep trying to flog myself and get this film made, you know, or you know what what do I do? I've got to make a decision in the morning. That night I had a dream. The dream was very clear and it told me specifically how to make the film. It told me that I shouldn't go and try and do the big budget, big crew, you know, kind of thing that I've been planning. I should nickel and diamond. I should effectively. <laughs> Jerry rig it and you know start shooting it myself, and if I did that, then I would everything would be okay. So I had this dream. I woke up kind of like a cliche, you know, like yeah, like you know, eyes up, eyes wide open, back straight, you know, like in bed. And I looked at the clock, and it was four forty-four. Now I didn't believe in numerology at this point, right? You know, but but I, I knew enough to think that's weird. You know, like I've had this really really clear dream of how to, how to make this film, and now it's 4.44. So I reached for my iPad, and I Google, what does 4.44 mean? Up came entry after entry after entry. And basically, what I read was that 4.44 was a very powerful, angelic number telling me that I had been doing good work, that I should proceed, and that if I moved forward, that I would be guided by my spirit guides, my archangels, my angels, my, my masters... And they would guide me through this process to great success, but I had to use my intuition. I had to use my inner guidance. So here I am, Dan, right? Like I'm in bed. It's July in Australia. It's cold, right? I'm freezing. <laughs> I'm reading this after having had this, this very vivid dream. And I go, what the bloody hell's happening here? What do I do? Now, I knew in that moment, I knew in that moment that I had to make a decision. And it wasn't a decision about whether or not I should make the film. It was a decision about whether or not I should change my life. Oh, wow. Like it was a huge, huge moment, yeah. huge moment, moment for me. And I thought, this is just too weird. Now, I didn't believe in spirit guides and angels and archangels or anything like that. But I thought, this is just too weird. So I decided, I'm going to make this film. And that process, that, that moment, that, that change in you, how, how was the new... What was the biggest difference between new Bill and old Bill after that moment? Um, there was not much difference, to be quite frank, because these things just don't happen in a thunderclap. You know, they happen over a period of time. Um, and I think, I, I, I think that's the way life works. You know, I think, I think it's, it's a gradual thing. It's not a straight-line graph. Yeah. You know, I, I had, um, moving forward, I had fears, I had doubts. Every time I went linear... The film stopped. It was really, really interesting. And every time I, I let go and trusted mm. in my intuition and in guidance, things happened. 
you know, like I was financing the film as I, as I went. So basically I'd find, find some investors, I'd, I'd get a chunk of money, I'd go out and do some filming, and then the money would dry up, and then I'd go back home and I'd, I'd, I'd be gripped by fear. I'd go, oh, God, this film's never going to get finished. I'm, you know, I've wasted everyone's money. I'm, you know, and then, and then I'd overcome that fear. I, you know, and I, I'd, I'd sort of go, all right, now I've got to be logical and linear about how I, how I approach this next phase. And everything would stop. As soon as I realized that the only way to make a film on intuition was by making it intuitively, mm. then everything then slipped into place. That's great. I love that. I have a question here that how much of what you do is gut feel even today as a result of, of, of that process, that intuition process? Oh, it's, total, it's to, totally fundamentally changed everything. Every way I do everything, every, every thought, every action, does, everything. Does that make it more risky? No, 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 because, because the thing about intuition is you've got to trust. Sure. Um, you know, I, as part of that film, I, I said the five processes of accurately accessing your intuition is stop, listen, ask, trust, and follow. Right. So you've got to stop, get out of your bus- busyness. You've got to listen. You've got to listen to the, the pings, intuitive pings that have come. Stop, listen, ask. You, you've got to ask. A lot of people don't, don't realize that you actually have to ask. I asked that night I went to bed. I asked, I want an answer in the morning. And I got it in a dream. Stop this and last. Trust. Trust is the big one. You know, we oftentimes we, we get these intuitive impulses. We go, oh, no, it's just an odd feeling. You know, it's just weird. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. Mm. That, that's too risky. I'm not going to do that. You've got to follow. You've got to follow through. You've got to action everything mm. that you've done. So those, those five things, stop, listen, ask, trust, follow, is basically how I, how I live my life now. And trust is a big one. So I, I don't question it anymore. Are those five things? Give them to me again. Stop. So we're so busy. You know, there, yeah. are, there are so many influences and social media and, you know, um, just the business of life. You, you know, we're getting intuitive impulses all the time. But because of the busyness. Of course. We, we just don't, we just don't, they, they bounce off us. We oh, just don't hear them. Yeah, yeah. yeah You've yeah. got to stop. You've got to listen. So once you stop, you've got to listen. You've got to be receptive. To intu- in- intuitive um, thought and, and impulse. Stop, listen, ask. You have to ask. It's, w- it's one thing that I've realised, and which I don't do enough. You know, I, I, I'm pretty shy about asking. Mm. Uh, stop, listen, ask. Trust. Trust is the, the biggie. And then you've got action and follow. Is that not just faith? You know, it's a really interesting thing about faith because I'm, I'm, uh, I said to Jennifer this morning, what is the definition of faith? You know, what is faith? Yeah. Well, could, and, it, could it not be stop, listen, act, ask, ask trust, follow. trust and follow? Um, I, th- I think so. I mean, people pay, place a religious and, and, and biblical yeah. um, patina over yeah. the word faith. Yeah, but I'm, I'm a, I'm, the way I'm asking, and it's really not part of my script or anything, but I'm just wondering, are those five things the pillars of faith? When that could be your faith, that could be the way could be a god it could be faith in yourself it could be faith in your family it could be faith in the process it could be faith in what you're doing it could be believing yeah in the process believing in the intuition believing in guidance now you yeah, know yeah. who or whatever controls that guidance is something else yeah you know but if you believe in guidance if you if you if you believe that that everything you do everything you think every action that you do Every step that you take is part of guidance, you know. Then, 
There's nothing to fear, and, and this, is, this is why I made the second film on fear, because as I was making this film on intuition, I realized the biggest obstacle to intuition was fear. And if you got rid of fear, then you'd have a clear run at intuition, which is pure guidance. What's one thing I can do to live with less fear? The best thing you can do to live with, with less fear is to come to terms with loss. What I discovered in making that film is that every fear, in some way or another, is based in loss. Mm. So if you get rid of the fear of loss, of loss of losing your job, loss of losing your partner, loss of losing all your money, loss of losing your house, loss of losing your life, if you get rid of all those fears, and, and it's hard, but I've actually got to that place. I've actually got to that place. If you, if you get rid of all those fears, you're free. Dan, you're free. And it's an extraordinary place to be because, because you're bulletproof. Like nothing can harm you. No one can harm you. Yeah. Nothing can harm you. You're free. And that's where I am right now. What's it like being there? Well, I'll tell you what it's like. It's actually scary. And, 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 one, of the re- and one of the reasons it's scary is because fear is actually a really important impulse. Like, you know, I'm spending a lot of money. Our, you know, Jennifer and I, you know, we, we've got to this place where we've run out of investor money and we're spending our own money. And, and Jennifer and I just don't question it. You know, that, that's what we do. We have no fear because we, we trust. And I was thinking the other day, we should be scared because we, we could lose everything. <laughs> You know, it's actually, it's a bit scary not to be scared. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course I know what you mean. But that's why I ask the question, what's it like to be there? Yeah. Because do you question being there? No, absolutely not. That takes great discipline, though. It's not discipline, no. It's um, It's belief. It's it's belief, yeah. It's it's, um, I mean, Jennifer and I have done a lot of work in reading and, you know, um, yeah, a lot of reading, a lot of talking amongst us, you know, between ourselves and so forth to get to, to get to this place. But we're there, you know, and we have, <laughs> we had this uh, saying going back a bit, you know, the most important thing in our relationship is that we both don't panic at once. <laughs> <laughs> but now we don't both panic at all. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. There's a third film you're working on now. It's part of the same... Uh, I call them the journey films because each film has is, is, uh, got a credit up, A Journey by Bill Bennett. It's not a film by Bill Bennett. It's A Journey by Bill Bennett because life is a journey. Yeah. And each just exploring these subjects is a very privileged journey that I'm taking. Yeah. So the next step is hope. Hmm. Now, I find, I find it kind of fascinating that, that, that you've, you've gone from intuition, learning to trust, trust your gut and your, your instincts to fear. So you overcome the fear of believing in your gut, trusting your gut and your instincts. And now you find yourself in a place of a a journey of hope. It's a great place to find yourself. Why did you choose hope? And and where are you in that process of making that third film in the series? Well, look, I still don't fully understand what hope is, I've got to say. Right. Um, Because we all think we know what hope is. Just like I thought I really knew, knew what fear was. And I got into making the film on fear and I realized that I had absolutely no clue really what fear was. And I'm at that same sort of point with hope. And, you know, we all think that hope is this wonderful thing that we must have in our lives. But I'm, I'm actually at this point where I'm thinking, 
Really? Really? Hope is only a bridge. Hope is a bridge between getting us from a lower vibrational state to a higher vibrational state. So it's, it's a corridor. A lot of people want to live in that corridor. But it's only a passageway, really, to get you to a, to a higher state of vibration, mm. a higher level of living. Um, and so this is what I'm kind of exploring at the moment with, uh, with, with my thinking in terms of hope. I'm, I'm a little bit um, skeptical about, about everybody saying, oh, we need hope. You know, I've got to have hope in the morning. Um, as a coincidence, I went back on, on um, my Facebook memories and uh, quite a few years ago, I, I, put, um, I had this memory. I, I wrote this story. If you live in hope, you live in fear. Now, at the time, it got a lot of <laughs> people really quite antsy on my social media. Wow. You know, they, but, but if you think about it, if you live in hope, then what you're hoping for means that you're in a, you're in a low vibrational state. You, you, there's something missing in your life, and you, you're wanting something more. Yeah, okay. And so that's by, by definition almost it's based in fear. Mm. You know, be, coming back to the sense that, that, that fear is ultimately all rooted in loss. You know, so so you feel as though you're losing something or sure. you don't have something. Yeah. And so you're hoping that your life's going to get better. You're hoping that you're going to um, overcome this bad medical condition. You know, you're hoping that your relationship is going to get better. So what, what you but but the hope. People are concentrating on hope, but it's not the hope. Hope is only the corridor that's getting you from one place to another. Does that make sense? Yeah, in a in a sense, it does. Are you saying that it's a good thing to have that hope, or you th- uh, you feel it's kind of a negative thing? Then I'm, I've, I've uh, always thought hope uh, is a good thing. I I I haven't made my mind up yet, right. to, be, to be quite frank. And this is okay. one of the wonderful things about the film. Yeah, I've um I've shot about twenty hours of material so far, and I've shot enough uh, enough with a lot of really clever people to make me question whether our our faith, if you like, our belief, our, uh, our need for hope is actually warranted. Mm. And, and so I'm sort of going against the grain a little bit, you know, in that sense. Like I say, intellectually, I haven't, I haven't yet really figured it out and I need to talk to more people. But this is where my thinking is going at the moment. You know, I'm, I'm sort of challenging this accepted notion of what hope is. And I, I think, well... Okay, if you can, if you can in fact sort out your shit at that low vibrational state, you don't need hope. You see, I don't have any hope. Right. I have no hope. I, hope does not exist in my life because I, ha, I have, like this film, for instance. You know, people say, oh, you, you must hope that the film's going to do well. No, I, I don't hope it's going to do well. It's either going to do well or it's not going to do well. Yeah, that makes sense. I understand where you're coming from now. That's a really interesting perspective. That's going to be a very, very interesting assessment and and a journey of discovery that you go on to find, at the end of it, to come to that conclusion. But, Dan, the thing is you've got to let go of outcomes. You know, that's the thing. You've got to let go of outcomes. Like like the outcome is this film is going to do really well. Um, I don't care. Yeah. You know, all I care about is making a good film. Mm -hmm. You know, if I make a good film, then... then Yeah. The rest might follow. Yeah. It might not, but it might follow. 
but I really don't care. You know, my my only my only care is to make do the best job I possibly can as a filmmaker. But I don't hope the film's going to do well. I don't hope the film's going to win a whole bunch of awards. I don't hope the film's going to go to Cannes. You know, if I have any hope, I hope that people like the film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but 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 even then, I've got no control over. But that. you've got trust in yourself to, that you know that you're going to work hard enough to produce something that you know, deep down, will do well. Um, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that's. Oh, I'm such a hypocrite. Aren't no, I? no, but that's the bottom line, isn't it? Yeah. The bottom line is, you don't live in fear. You have faith in in your intuition and your process and faith mm. in one another, mm. you and Jennifer, to know that what you've put together will be quality enough to do well. And and as you say, well, it's not really about doing well. If you see it on the big screen and you say, wow, that's that's a really exquisite work of art that we've put together, I'm happy. Mm. And the universe will take care of the rest. You know, it's really interesting. We had a, we had a screening for a distributor um, a little while ago. The distributor, in fact, ended up um, taking on the film Maslow Entertainment. And uh, the head of this company, Mark Mark Woolridge, he um, he came out of the screen. He was sitting downstairs in a little coffee shop, and he said, um, "He said, what do you, what does success look like for you with this film?" And I said, "Success looks like what success looks like for me is right here, right now. I've made the film. Mm-hmm. That's success." Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, it is. It's, it's amazing. And we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But there's three other movies that you'd like to make. I, I don't want to wrap up this soul journey talk mm. just yet. Uh, one of them is Purpose, another is Love, and another is Death. Three more movies you'd like to make. What do you hope at the end of it all, this whole soul journey series, to find? Um, look, one of the things that I'm doing with these films is that I'm not proselytizing. I'm not telling people how they should live their life or what's yeah. important. They are what I call journey films in that um, it's a personal journey of mine to discover stuff so that I have a better understanding of, of who I am, what my role is, what my purpose is, and how the whole thing works, if you like. Now, the way I figure it is if, if I'm going to be asking the questions a lot of people would be interested in asking, I'm in the very privileged position where I can get to people, you know, like important people around the world to be able to ask those questions. And so what I hope at the end of it is that I have I have a better understanding of what it's all about, mm. Dan, really. Yeah. You know, and, and like, um, I mean, <laughs> of, of the three that I've got to do, well, Three and a half, really, with with hope. The one that scares me the most is love. Yeah. Like, how do you make a film on love? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and what is love? Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, re- it's really interesting. With with, uh, with all these films, with intuition, with, with fear, with hope, and so forth, the, the very first question I ask everybody is, what is intuition? What is fear? What is hope? And when it comes to love, what is love? You know, because, once again, we think we know these are terms. These are terms that we um, we think we know, but when you really kind of lift lift the hood on it, you know, and start to forensically look at these things, everything kind of unravels. Mm. Like I was listening to a podcast with Carolyn Mace. Carolyn's become a friend. You know, she's in the first two films, 
And Carol is a rigorous um, a theologian, academic, mystic. Yeah, yeah. And she said something really quite interesting in this podcast this morning. She said people think that love is the primary, the primary factor, the primary emotion, you know, the number one thing. But she said, no, it's not. Choices. You can choose to love. You can choose to love someone. You can choose to love your life. You can choose to love yourself. Choice is more important than love. And I thought, wow. That's insanely clever. Choice. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Wow. Yeah. She said every, every choice you make, from the smallest, tiniest little choice to the largest choice, has consequences. And you have to be accountable and you have to live for that. And those consequences then have other consequences. Yeah. You know, so choice is the thing that, that is the most important thing that, that you can – you make a choice. That's the most important thing you can do in your life. And she said making a choice is an act of creation. Wow. It's an act of creation. Mm. And I thought, my goodness. When you're making smart choices, it makes you a better person to love. It makes you a better lover. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I made that That's choice. That, I made that choice that morning at four 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 to make the film. Yeah, that changed my life. And I, I say, Dan, probably that in changing my life, coming back to your original question about change the world, change your life. In changing my life, I've, I've probably changed the lives of other people as well. No question. Yeah. So, so, so this whole thing of what Tolstoy said: you, you change yourself first. Yeah. And let the world look after itself, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you do find that change in yourself, and it might be that you learn to be more intuitive, you be more less fearful, perhaps less hopeful and, and, and more loving, uh, you, it doesn't matter what the world's doing, you'll be in a better world. Yeah. Your yeah. world will be a better world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fantastic. I want to go back to the hustle, your incredible drive. I said earlier, you're one of the busiest people I've ever met, actually. Tell us about the Golden Bridge. Oh, Dan, the Golden Bridge. You know, look, if I died tomorrow, and I could well, if I died tomorrow, there'd be two things that I would like to be remembered for. One is this last movie, and the other is the Golden Bridge. I don't think I've written anything as good as this. I doubt that I'll ever write anything as good. I say that to Jennifer and she just laughs. And she, she says, Bill, every time you do something, you say that. <laughs> <laughs> she, bring, she brings me down to earth. But um, the, gold, the Golden Bridge is, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I handed to, uh, I gave a copy to our mate Johnny Walker. And John, um, John wrote me back. And he said, this, this is a book about a pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize that when I wrote it. it it's a, look, it's the weirdest thing. And, and, you know, people talk about channeling and, you know, oh, this was channeled as though that's something special. Every creative person is a channeler. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing special to be a, a channeler. But what happened was this. I once again, I woke up in the middle of the night with this story totally formed in front of me. I didn't dream it. I woke up and there it was, totally formed. And I said, no, I'm not doing this. That's what I said. I, I was having this dialogue in, in the bed in the middle of the night. I don't know what time it was. And I said, 
I'm not doing this. This is a stupid story. It's, it's not the sort of thing I can write. I'm not that good a writer that I, that I could do this anyway. There's no, there'd be no commercial interest in it. I'm not doing it. And they came back and they said, buddy, you're doing it. <laughs> and I said, I said, I'm not going to spend six, nine months, 12 months of my life writing something that no one's going to read. And they said, buddy, you're doing it. And you're going to start tomorrow morning. And so I went, oh, okay. This, this is a dialogue I'm having with myself, right? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Dan, you've got to understand that the story is totally formed. It, it's like there. All I've got to do is sit down and write it. Right. You know, so I, And what was the reluctance? Why did you not want to do it? Well, literally what I said, I, I, it was a story that wasn't a genre that right. I'd done. Um, there didn't seem to be any real commercial merit in it. Um, I mean, at this point in my life now, I've got to make decisions based on what I think is going to have the biggest bang for my buck. And by that, I'm, I'm not meaning money. I'm talking about accessibility. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, ha- having doing something that that is in some way going to you know have an impact. And but they were insistent. You know, it was it, it was the weirdest kind of thing, and I'm. And I, I've now reached this point where I take these kind of conversations seriously. Yeah. Like before PGS, I wouldn't have. You know, I would never have entertained it. And so what happened was I went down, not that morning, the next morning. I had my two double espressos at about 4 a.m. And I, I don't meditate, you know, but basically what I did is I, I cleared my mind. I just sat down at the typewriter and I, and I wrote. I wrote about twelve, fifteen hundred words. And by this stage, it was about nine thirty, ten o'clock in the morning, and went up and had a shower and got on with my day. And then during the day, I found a time during the day where I would once again clear my mind, and that gave me thoughts about what what I would do the next day. And then at four o'clock the next day, I'd go down and have my two double espressos, <laughs> and I would write. And in a surprisingly short period of time, I had a book. How amazing. I was talking to somebody who read the book this morning. Um, I was walking to work. He, this fellow gave me a, a call. He's an elderly gentleman. He's um, recently lost his wife. And his voice was starting to crack with emotion, telling me how much the book had deeply affected him. And he said, I am telling people, he said, I cannot explain this book. I can't tell you what this book is about. You've just got to read it. You know, and I tell you what, that made my, made my day. How fantastic. So give us a very quick pricey. Give us the elevator pitch. Okay, so the elevator pitch is a bloke, man who's, um, I can't remember, he's 60, 60, 63, something like that. He walks out of his house one morning with a backpack. Um, he walks up to the main street. He takes off his smartwatch, puts it in a a bin, takes his mobile phone, puts it in a bin, uh, gets rid of everything that he, you know, his ID, his credit cards, everything, puts them all in the bin, he just walks off, doesn't know where he's going. It turns out that that day, that morning, he should be at his wife's funeral. It turns out that he's, he's killed his wife and the police want to talk to him. And he just walks off. He stops, he stops at a... On the outskirts of the town, he stops at this little um, 
breakfast um, place and this um, tradie comes in and says, where are you going? And he says, I don't know. And he says, well, which way are you heading? And he says, well, I'm heading north because north is up and I need to head up. And he said, well, the only thing that's up is like this big rock in the middle of the country. He goes, yeah, okay, well, I'll walk there. And as he walks, he comes to believe that if he builds a golden bridge of life, now, it turns out this guy's an engineer. He's lived his whole life through measurement. His, his, his God is um, empiricism, measurement, calculation. Sure. And he gets, because he walks out into the desert, and because of the exhaustion, the grief, it turns out he loves his wife beyond words. Um, and yet he still killed her. You don't know why. Um, but through this grief, through the heat, the exhaustion and everything, he starts to unhinge and he shifts into another dimension, into another reality. And he comes to believe that if he builds a golden bridge of light over this rock, that at the, at the other side, over that bridge, on the other side of that rock, will be his wife and he'll be reunited with her. Wow. And that, that idea came to you? Fully formed. Fully formed. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have to work at it. Did you get fully formed ideas like that coming to you in the middle of the night before you connected with your intuition, before you addressed fear, before you talked and started to think about hope? No. Wow. No, and I'm, I'm waiting for the next one. <laughs> and well, I, and well, I hope it comes. <laughs> speaking of the next one. Then I see one day I'm, I'm I'm on social media and I see oh Bill's posted something you know it came up I've always got the alert is it you with his elephants now now he now he's he's with the elephants in India what, what, tell us about the elephants yeah well, that's a bit strange um, Jennifer and I just uh, chuffed off to uh, Tamil Nadu to spend two weeks with um, elephant scientists studying the impact of human-elephant conflict. In other words, elephants going crazy and killing people. Right. And it's been a story that's been sw swilling around for quite some time. Um, the, a story of an elephant that is separated from its um, baby and about a mother. The elephant, in fact, has killed this woman's daughter. The mother elephant has killed right. the mother's daughter. Is it a true story? It's partly true. Wow. And and the villagers take the, what they call this rogue elephant, um, away, a long way away, but it's separated from its daughter, from, from the baby elephant. And the mother decides to take the baby elephant back to the mother and in the process uh, deals with her grief. Wow. Yeah. Wow, what a great story. So when or where is that? Were you shooting when you were there or were you just doing your research? Just just doing the research. And um, I didn't realize, Dan, how dangerous elephants are. Mm. Like they're really, really dangerous. Um, and it's um, it's on the runway. <laughs> and now to the big question. Before we get to the way my way... Tell me how a bloke diagnosed with Parkinson's disease continues to hustle. 
I mean, it's, it's extraordinary, Bill. You look as calm as I've ever seen you here. You look incredible. You look incredibly fit for your age. You, you're walking from the airport to your to your studios here in Sydney over the last couple of days. You're looking amazing. How's that journey? How's that pilgrimage? Because you're very open and honest about that when you released the movie about fear. Well, it's been, I'll be now six years since my diagnosis. Um, so I'm well into it. And I probably had symptoms a good 12 to 18 months prior to diagnosis. Um, Dan, I don't understand it. I'm defying gravity. I really don't understand it. I, I think that perhaps because I have a strong sense of purpose, I'm not allowing myself to wallow in it mm-hmm. or to... I don't... Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to this bloke this morning about the Golden Bridge, and he said, you know, because about... It's really about grief about this this bloke who loses his wife. Yeah, and I said, I said, look, really, it's a story about Jennifer and and me. And he said, he said, Bill, you don't have to worry. You know, you, you're doing really well with Parkinson's. You know, you don't you don't have to worry about about dying anytime soon. I laughed. I said, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about her dying. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I I don't um. You know, you probably saw I took my medication before this, and you know, so forth. So I'm being sensible about you know those sort of those sort of things. But um, I decided that I would take myself off Facebook. I'll tell you a story. Okay, okay so so I often do that, don't I? I say I'll tell you a story. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I'll tell you a story. I um I didn't tell anybody for four years. That I had Parkinson's, but then when I when I made this film on facing fear, and you know it starts off by by saying I had to face this fear when I got this diagnosis, um, it became public, and so the Sydney Morning Herald did a big feature on on it at the time, and that weekend there was a party, two door two a birthday party two doors down from where where we live, and there were going to be about forty people there, and I knew that. You know that the word had got out, and people were for the first time aware that I had Parkinson's. Well, I didn't really want to go to the party, the birthday party, but socially I had this obligation to go. But I, but I, I left it until the last moment to sort of go. And so I arrive at the party, and it's in full swing. I open up the door, and everyone everyone stops and turns and looks at me. Right, I, I, I feel mortified, <laughs> absolutely mortified. <laughs> And they're all looking at me, you know, like Bill's got Parkinson's disease. And somebody rushes forward and says, Bill, here, let me take that wine. You know, so they take the wine. And I go, no, no, it's okay. No, no, Bill, let me take the wine. I'll, I'll open it. Bill, here, here's a seat. Take a seat. Head, head of the table. No, don't, don't you cut a piece of cake. We'll, we'll cut the cake for you. Now, yeah. so the strangest thing happened, Dan. You know what? I liked it. <laughs> I liked it. They're making a fuss of me. They're making me special. They're treating me like I'm a prince. I like this. Why didn't I get sick earlier? <laughs> and at that moment, I realized something terribly important about mm. health. And that is that we can, we can get to a point where we stay sick because it makes us special. Mm. It makes people, you know, like, like um, 
people stand up for you on a bus, mm. you know, uh, even simple things like that. But this notion that we keep sick, we keep ourselves purposefully sick with disease because it makes us special. It gives us a certain hierarchy. It's a scary thing, you know, but at that moment of that party, that hit me so very strongly. I like this. This is cool. They're making a fuss of me. What an extraordinary insight. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. And, I, and so you now approach it, I think you said just before, you, you, you didn't perhaps say it, but you inferred that you don't let it define you. No. You just go about your business. Yeah. Take your meds. Yeah. Take it seriously. Yeah. But just go about your life. Go about achieving. Go about hustling. Go about being busy. Well, there are certain things I can't do. Like I can't brush my teeth with a toothbrush. You know, so I get an electric toothbrush and, and I use that. You know, there, there are certain things that I just simply can't do anymore. That's okay. I find a workaround. No big deal. Um, and I don't hustle, <laughs> Dan. Well, I think you I probably... don't. I don't hustle. What, what I do is I'm, I'm, I'm vigorous in what I want and, and I'm, I'm absolutely shameless shameless about what I do in the sense that, you know, I, um, I mean, how the way my way came about is extraordinary, I've got to say, absolutely extraordinary. And we can get to that later. Yeah. But, um, but no, look, I, I have things to do. And what I do is I give people opportunities to join me in those endeavors. If they choose not to, then they've missed that opportunity. That's the way I look at it. Mm, mm. Well, let's talk about The Way, My Way, the new film shot in Spain last year. I've seen it, actually seen it twice. I saw the first two rushes, as they say, and it's, it's, it's amazing. I absolutely loved it. I'm so excited about it. Uh, where to from, from here? Where to from here for you now? Where are we at, The Way, um, My Way? The film is almost finished. It's, um, it's been in editing, Dan, 11 months, and that's a long, long time for a feature film. And the reason that it's been in editing that long is it's handcrafted. Mm. I mean, this is, a, this is a handcrafted film. Yeah. Because Jennifer and I are producing, we've got no pressure. You know, we've, we don't have any government money in it. There's no Screen Australia involvement, anything like that. It's just us. And we can take – I've set the whole production up so that we can take whatever time is needed to get this film absolutely right, absolutely to a point that we're, that we're happy with it. And it's at that point now. Um, Do you have to have a certain patience, Bill? Would it not be the tendency to get it done? When you're handcrafting a film, do you have to have a certain patience where you're saying, I'll just, there's no need for us to do that today. Let's leave that until tomorrow. We've done enough today. Let's take our time and get it right. Oh, no, the opposite is a fact. The opposite is true. And that is that there's a tendency to want to hold on to it for another 11 months. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, because nothing is absolutely perfect. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, and so, the the difficult part is to is to draw a line under it and say no, this is good enough. Well, where are you now? Where's the line? Well, the line the line has been drawn. Um, we've locked off the picture cut. We're now doing the sound. Um, we've got um, a fantastic music track, and I just a couple of days uh, ago just. Um, got uh, permission from a musician to use the end music song. Oh. Somewhere along the way. (laughs) 
very self-indulgent. I didn't plan that little segue there. I didn't plan it. But it- Dan, I tell you what, it is the best music for the end of that movie, man. I tell you, it's fantastic. People are going to be sitting in the cinema and they're going to be then they're going to want to watch all the credits and tap their foot along. It is it is just the most fantastic way to end the film. Oh, I'm so pleased. I'm so delighted. Uh, when when you called the other night, I couldn't get the smile off my face all night. I think I slept with the with a smile on my face and woke up with a smile on my face. Oh, I'm just so excited to be part of it. It's 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 exquisite. It truly is beautiful. It is handcrafted. The colours, the scenery, the light. I actually have a question here. Mm. Tell me about Bill Bennett and light. Oh, Dan, it's a really actually, it's a really really good question because right from the very start, when I started thinking about this, the first thing was light. Um. I told everybody this is a light-dependent, light-prioritized shoot. So um, every decision was made based around light. Mm. Choice of cameras, choice of lenses, choice of DP, um, choice of you know shooting time of day, that sort of thing. Um, I always knew that light was going to be perhaps the most important creative element in the film. Yeah. And why is it so important? Why? Yeah. Um, it's the difference between cinema and TV. <laughs> I'm really mean when it comes to TV. <laughs> but, but you know, look, the way I look at it, I've only got one chance in my life to make a film about, about this subject, about the Camino. And for me, that's an extraordinary privilege and I want to get it right. A great responsibility too. A huge responsibility. One of the things I found was watching it, though, there's big sweeping landscapes. The, the light is shot in such a way it draws you in. You feel part of the landscape because of the light. <laughs> well, Dan, you have personal knowledge of this. You know, we, we did a music video together yeah. and you stood in a field for how long? <laughs> Two hours. hours or something? Hours. That was the coldest I've ever been in my entire life. You know, with with me waiting for the for the live for the Not yet. and the, we didn't we didn't have like film crew or anything. It's just you calling me on the mobile phone. No, no, you can't go yet, Bill. I'm freezing to death. Stay there, stay there. Just just give me a little bit more. And I've got to say that shot is absolutely stunning. It's, it's stunning. It's, it's it was it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait. There's no question. And, and here's the thing, and this is what I, this this is really important to me, and that is that an audience, you know, and the thing the thing I think with with cinema is that cinema lasts. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this, this film could still be around in 100 years. You yeah. don't know. Mm-hmm. Cinema lasts. And so, and so I take that really, really seriously. So if it means making people uncomfortable, you know, for an hour or so, I don't mind that. You know, if, if, it, um, you know, if we've got to wait for the right light and for all of the elements to come together so that, that shot is as best I can possibly make yeah. it. Because as, as a director... I'm responsible for every single thing that happens in that frame, everything, including the light, mm. ambient or, or otherwise. Mm. Mm. And so if we're talking about something that's going to last, then you've got to get it right. Yeah, you've got to get it right. I remember walking back to the car, it was like three or 400 metres away, and Jennifer was sitting in the car, it was so cold. And I said to you, oh, the sky was unbelievable, that, that pink and grey sky. And you said, yeah, 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 yeah. But it was dark. It was almost like almost pitch dark by the time we got to the car. The light had died out that quickly. And I remember saying to you something along the lines of, 
oh, I'm so pleased we got that shot. And, and you were saying, well, that, that's why I was so being so persistent, you know. And I remember saying to you, and I suppose it's also getting in the car, loading stuff in. I said, I imagine there'd be days when you think, oh, now, now we're putting the stuff in the back of the car. Now the light's perfect. So you have to wait, don't you? Yeah. You have to wait. You, sim- you simply do. Um, there is a shot at the end of uh, PGS where I'm standing on the uh, edge of the Nullarbor Plains. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a drone shot and the sun is, is sinking. And it's one of those magic moments when the, the, the sun is fingers, literally fingers of God you know, coming out. And I'm standing on this cliff in the Great Australian Bight with the storms and the, you know, the sea and everything. And what happened with that was we rehearsed that shot because it's a very complicated drone shot. We rehearsed that shot in cloud for about six, seven times over a period of about two hours before, beforehand. And we were watching that sun and there was cloud. And then suddenly this little band of sky opened up just, just above the horizon. And I, I remember saying to Scotty Lars, the drone operator, we've got one take at this, one take. And as soon as that sun drops down into that little tiny band, we've got about three minutes to get this shot. If we, if we don't get it, we've missed it. And because we had rehearsed it and rehearsed it and rehearsed it, we got the shot and it was perfect. No, that's great. I love stories like that. Mm-hmm. I love stories like that. They're not, that's not luck. That's work. Well, it's also experience, mm. you know, because, yeah. because with experience, you know that you've got to do the rehearsal so that when you do get that opportunity and it's so fleeting – Everything aligns so that you can absolutely nail it. And we, and we did the same thing with the end shot in The Way My Way. Yeah. With a shot of the cathedral. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is unbelievable. I get goosebumps thinking about that. All right. We're not going to give away too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I cast my mind back to the Camino, it's often a memory of spending long afternoons not doing very much with pilgrims from all around the world. And you, you capture that very well, that feeling. How hard... Is it to capture the essence of the story you're trying to tell? Oh, crikey. What a question is that? Um, let me think about that. <laughs> it's bloody hard. Yeah, I bet. Like, it's really bloody hard. Yeah, yeah. But you do it so well. Yeah, I don't know how I do it, Dan. I really don't. I, I, I'm, it's sort of a mystery, really. But, um, but what I try and do is I try and, I try and bring all of the right elements together um, and create the right environment. My job as a director is to create the right environment where people can do their best work. Um, but the most important thing for me is truth, mm. you know, truth, the truth of the moment, the truth of the situation. And if things aren't ringing true, then I just stop it and we, and we just work out why it's not working, why it's not truth when we, you know, whatever time it takes that's needed to find out why it's not truthful. I take that time and then we do it again so that it is truthful. Mm. Truth. Yeah. Well, we've hit on some big subjects in this conversation, truth and faith and love and hope. Choice. Choice as well. So the reason we're talking and the reason for this conversation is the trailer comes out this week. And it's a great trailer. It's got a really catchy song in it. (laughs) (laughs) So the trailer this week, what's the timeline? When can people start to get excited about seeing The Way My Way in a cinema near them? Um, The film opens in Australia on May 16. Um, We've actually been invited to a big Camino conference in Europe. 
uh, to screen the film there on the third of third of May, Friday the third of May. It's like all of the big heads, the European heads of all of the big communal organisations around Europe, Terrific. are coming to this place in uh, Croatia. Wow! And so Jennifer and I are going to attend that, and all of the people in the movie. Uh, the European pilgrims are going to be there as well. So that's going to be pretty cool. That would be very cool. Mm. So May 16 in Australia, what yeah. about an international date? We're not quite sure about that, but one of the things that we're thinking about is actually having a big, a one-off, a big event online screening. You know, so, so for people who are interested in the film and it hasn't yet opened theatrically, and, and Dan, as you know, this is a film that's got to be seen in the cinema. Oh, yeah. It really, oh, yeah. it really does. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's I think Camino groups will love to go as a group to see the film. Absolutely. And, and share it. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Because it, it really is a, a, an experience, a yeah, cinematic yeah. experience. Yeah. But we're thinking of doing like a one off online screening, global, you know, just to um, show people the film. And do you, any idea when that might be? Not quite sure. I mean, we're talking about possibly St. James Day. Oh, okay. Um, well, that's not too far away. Yeah, that's only a couple of months away. Yeah. Oh, it's it's so it's so exciting, Bill. Uh, we've been talking for just shy of an hour, which is extraordinary in itself. I know you do a yearly audit mm. uh, where you kind of mark your achievements or lack thereof sometimes from the year before and look ahead for the year to come. There's a tenth anniversary of the book, my the way, my way that the movie is based on, which will come out this year. In I've done it. You've done it. All right, there you go. That's why so, I was so busy this morning. You say you're not a hustler. So, but if we're talking blue sky outcomes from from Bill Bennett with all of this work on your plate, what does 2024 look like for you? Um, 2024 really is about this film. Um, you know, Jennifer and I really want to make sure that we do everything possible so that as many people as possible get to see the film. Um. But I would like to shoot, complete the shooting of Hope this year. Um, I've started writing another book already. I woke up the other morning and, <laughs> and thought, I'm, I'm 10,000 words into it, Dan. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. That's so funny. What, we need to have like a big screen of Bill's sleep, like Bill's dreams, you know. So we can all we can all watch them. Oh, that'll be dreadful. I can't, <laughs> I can't wait to see what you're able to achieve this year, Bill. And like I said, the movie is absolutely brilliant. Everyone is going to love it. And again, I want to acknowledge the enormous contribution your beautiful wife Jennifer makes to your success oh, and, and everything I can, that you I, do. There's no way in the world that I can do what I do without yeah, her. She's amazing. Yeah. She's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations on contributing to making people's lives better through your research and films on intuition, fear, and hope. And for being such a great friend. Well, Dan, it's a pleasure, a real pleasure. Thank Buen, you. Thank Buen you. Camino, Pilgrim. Buen Camino, somewhere <laughs> along the way. I hope <laughs> I can't get that song out of my no, head. No, you've done it for both of us now. We're, we're about to go to a little Spanish restaurant down the street for dinner. Yeah. So we, we'll, we'll be singing it along this, the pair of us together. Absolutely. My guest this week, the Australian author, film producer and director, Bill Bennett. The trailer for The Way My Way is out this week. Keep an eye out for it. It's going to be everywhere. Share it with everyone you know. We'll all be on this journey, this pilgrimage, together. And if you'd like to watch the video of this podcast, go to my YouTube channel, danmullinsmusic.com. Thanks for your company this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere